podcast this week, we are joined by the mumbling, sometimes, form of Benicio del Toro. He's here to talk about Soldado, Sicario? Sol, sol, Sicario sold. 2, colon, Soldado, or, or Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, if Ooh. you are of the American persuasion. Exciting. All this and more on the only movie podcast that plans to remake Avengers Infinity War just because we really, really love it. Well, I do anyway. Hello, pod. I'm Helen O'Hara and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Obviously, I am not Chris Hewitt. Chris Hewitt is away on a top secret mission or missions impossible right now on the other side of the Atlantic. It was my turn last week. It's his turn this week. But the Emperor Podcast is nevertheless here. You're welcome. And it's brought to you once again in association with the fine folk at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. And later in the pod, Chris will be joining us to talk about a couple of his favourites that you can watch now on Sky Cinema. Just two of the thousands of movies on demand uh, with more added a brand new premiere every day. So, in Chris's place this week, I am joined by three... No, wait, not three. I'm joined by two... No, not two. I'm joined by a single colleague, but of such lethal cunning <laughs> that he makes up for any number of people who were too busy to be here. I like to think I'm both more lethal and more cunning <laughs> than the other pod hosts. So. I, I entirely agree. James Dyer. Thanks. Welcome. Hi. Um, so, yeah, so this, it, it, it's, it's a slightly uh, unmanned pod, if you will... Uh, today not literally unmanned obviously you're a man but otherwise unmanned so yeah it's a, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting different setup yeah it's it's a, it's a sort of a, it's more of like an in conversation with james and helen <laughs> <laughs> with statler and waldorf i should have worn the other shoes um, you are, cause I, we, you, I mean you've clearly teed this up intentionally you are, of course <laughs> mentioned shoes because you are wearing some very fetching captain marvel are they trainers or converse are they official they're converse vans, they're, vans. they're vans yeah they're very nice. I love them. They're I think they're nice. great. But I do think it's appalling. I just I was saying this to you on the way here, but I want to share it with the world. Yes. Vans make some these very nice Captain Marvel shoes and they make some very nice Black Widow shoes and they're only in women's sizes. What up with that? Mm, where are my Captain Marvel trainers? Well, exactly. Where are Jamie McKelvey's Captain Marvel trainers? That's what I want to <laughs> yeah, know. More pertinently. Um, this is, I think this is an outrage and Vans, if you're listening, first of all, send me more free trainers and second of all, <laughs> sort it out already. Come on. However... Uh, we we have a question to answer. We have a question. Okay. In fact, we have a lot of questions, and pretty much all of them are along the same line. So let me give you an idea here. Um, Zach Yates asks, which billion-dollar film released in the last 12 months would you like to ask the internet for money for you to remake? <laughs> and, um, and Julia Carmen, Jules Carmen, uh, on Twitter asks, do you feel like you gave The Last Jedi remakers the idea when you said they should stop whining and make their own art? Do you feel drunk with power, and what will you make them do next? So we had a lot of questions and about the whiny man babies who are planning yeah. to remake the This last is in show. reference to the Bellends who tweeted that their producers are willing to fund a remake of The Last Jedi to undo what Ryan Johnson has wrought, uh, which he, bless his little cotton socks, endorsed on the internet. It's like, please make this happen. <laughs> also, when you say willing to fund, the film cost, like, what, $300 million? I mean, well over. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not well over. It was 300 be, but a lot. There's a level of, of fanboy ire, but is there a $300 million level? I mean, how upset have you got to be about this film to want to fund that? Do you know what? If there is somebody out there who is $300 million <laughs> upset about this film, I, I'm just, I'm just going to laugh at you. It's there are so be, many better uses of your money. Yeah, it's like Stephen, it's Jeff Bezos just doesn't like <laughs> The Last Jedi. And he's right, fuck it, we're going to do this. Yeah. 
I just honestly, these, the internet is is like a spawning ground for these dreadful, dreadful creatures. Just banging on about it. Like, The Last Jedi, it may not be what you wanted, but it's an objectively good film. It might not tickle you in all the tickly Star Wars places, but nevertheless, you know, it was bold, it went in new ideas, it was original, it wasn't derivative, you know, there's loads to recommend it. And also, you've kind of got your wish anyway, because Ryan's now done with this particular trilogy, and JJ's come back. And if you didn't like Last Jedi, chances are you probably liked The Force Awakens, so you're sorted. And if you didn't like The Force Awakens, and you didn't like The Last Jedi, then you probably don't like Star Wars. So maybe just go <laughs> off and watch Jurassic World ten times instead. There. Well, there you go. But it, it is, it's bizarre. Like, it is bizarre. And it's... and. As somebody said, I think it was uh, at Hello Taylor on Twitter, um, Gavia White- Baker Whitelaw. She she was putting out, have none of has nobody told these guys about fan fiction? <laughs> like if you don't like how it played out, then just write it like you wish it had played out, which is a normal sort of response. Well, normal in inverted commas. Like I'm not saying fan fiction. Like come on, let's be honest, you're a bit weird, but it's less <laughs> weird than trying to remake a billion dollar movie in your back garden, which is presumably where this will be shot. Also, spread your wings a little. I mean, you say fan fiction, I hear slash fiction. I'm saying, you know, interior, Finn's bedroom, night. <laughs> I mean, Poe Dameron knocks sheepishly on the door. He's wearing nothing but a loincloth. Good Lord. Where have you been reading my work? This is, this is upsetting. I thought that was private. This could happen. I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. Let, let's have, let's have some, some Last Jedi slash fiction. Let's do that. Yeah. Someone suggested uh, Leia and Holdo. Definitely. Interesting. Definitely a pass. Yes. There. Definitely a past. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Um, I don't know, man. Just, I, I feel like fi- find, a, find a new way to spend your money. What, what, would, what would we remake, though? Were we remaking? Would you remake any, any billion-dollar films? I mean, there's no real way to say it without sounding like I'm trolling. Uh-huh. But there's got to be a point where you look at what DC have been doing recently and think... <laughs> There are some really great characters there. Was someone with a more unified vision and mm-hmm. some direction to take that up? Yeah. I feel that we could be getting somewhere. Like, as Christopher Nolan's shown us, you know, and, you know, before him, Tim Burton is just like, Batman is amazing. Do you yep. know what I mean? We've had great Batman films. You know, and Wonder Woman, which, and I hate to say it, is the best of the lot and is good, is not great. Like, it wouldn't... How dare you? It wouldn't go toe-to-toe with any of the top ten Marvel films. So I'm saying, I'm saying yes, I'd probably, I'd probably fund remakes of, frankly, every DC film they've done since The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Wow. Um, I mean, I would definitely, yeah, I'd be up for a different... Well, I'd be up for a different Dark Knight Rises. I wouldn't be up... I, I, I like Wonder Woman, you know that, so I know, I'm okay I, with I that. also like it. I um, just don't think... I think it, it yeah. has enough problems to make it imperfect, and most of those sound a lot like David Theolis. And uh, Julia's question, do we feel like we gave them the ideas when we said we should stop whining and make their own art? Uh, I think my, my point to that would be it's not their own art. They're planning to make somebody else's art, yeah. and I look forward to their conversations with Disney lawyers, <laughs> and I would pay to see that put on film, whether oh, as a documentary or, or real life. I don't mind. What is, have they said what they want? Like, what, 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 what would they like to do differently? Well, has they're going to expressed? get together a, a whole a whole group of writers you see they don't just want to have one person in a room dictating what star wars is because god forbid george lucas i mean anyone should do that yeah so what they want is to get a, a panel and try to come to some conclusion about what all their whiny man complaints were right. and then and then work it down i apologize look i realize there are people who have legitimate complaints about 
The Last Jedi. And we, we, we shared some of them in our spoiler special. We had some issues. But I think the kind of people who are genuinely talking about remaking it are all whiny man babies. So yeah. I, I don't care. I'm sorry about But also, if them. you do Star Wars by fanboy committee, you end up with a film that very closely resembles Patton Oswalt's sort of... Uh, <laughs> uh, his sort of monologuing filibuster in uh, Parks and Rec, where it's like, it's got Thanos and Boba Fett and spaceships and robots and you know it just becomes i mean that yes and it's that's not that's not good it might be fun to watch Who it knows? might be yes this this remakey remakeynessness question mm. uh kind of ties into what i would argue is probably the biggest piece of news this week which isn't even news because it's still a rumor which is yes. that disney have off the record possibly potentially shelved mm. the anthology movies to focus on the main episodes and then the series beyond that in the wake of the implosion of solo at the box office which is interesting if true and honestly i believe it probably is well disney have denied it or Lucasfilm, rather, have denied it. Yeah, um, but... Which is not to say that it is always true when studios deny things. Yeah. But th- this is not the official position. We should be clear on it's that It's not. Right no, it is It is scuttlebutt that's gone out there. But it's interesting scuttlebutt. Because mm. at last count, international and domestic, I believe I'm right saying 350 or thereabouts was the, the current tally. Yeah, just under 350. Just under 350. So the budget of the film is estimated to be just shy of 300. And that's not taking into account advertising, promotion and all that kind of stuff. So realistically, you know, the break-even point for this film, you've got to imagine has got to be around the 600 million mark, you know, to recoup all of that stuff. At least, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to make a decent amount on home ends, I'm sure. But there is a very real possibility this film will run a loss. And that's a big kicking the bollocks for Lucasfilm, you know, because Star Wars they see as the, is, is the moneymaker, isn't it? That's, you know, their, their license to print Republic credits and occasionally Dactaris. Um, so, <laughs> you nerd. Y- y- well, yes. Um, but it doesn't surprise me. And, and I, I wonder whether casting the anthologies isn't the problem. I think the problem is just give it a year. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if you had a Star Wars film every December, I'm on board. Do you know what I mean? If, if every other one is an, is an anthology, I may not love the anthologies as much, but I'd happily watch them once a year. But I don't think you can come straight off. I mean, Last Jedi was in cinemas yeah. until February, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So you've literally come off one and gone almost straight into another one. And unlike Marvel, there's not enough variety. So it feels like you're cannibalising yourself. I just just base them out a bit more and maybe give more thought to the necessity of the subject. Um, you know, delicately put. I, no, yeah. I agree. I agree, and I think we we discussed a lot of this obviously when we were discussing Solo. So we won't get into sort of kicking that film again, which we think is it's fine film. It yeah. doesn't have any reason to. It's, exist, a, fine but film. it's fine. It's a fine film. Well, it's fine, so it is. Um, this is a hate crime. Uh, <laughs> But it's but it has absolutely underperformed. So it wouldn't be surprising if they were at least thinking things over and, you know, making sure they were very happy with them before they go to screen. But then that's what we want studios to do anyway. You know, if you're going to spend three hundred million dollars or something shooting a film, and not every film costs that, obviously, yeah. then you should probably spend the fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is to get a really good script first, because that is kind of the building block for the rest, yeah. you know. So, anyway. But it is, uh, I should say, before we move on entirely to news, if you would like your question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, please do tweet at us. Hashtag, we are at Empire Magazine on Twitter. You can hashtag it Empire Podcast or we might miss it. Um, you can also get a hold of us on Facebook. We are, we are also Empire Magazine, rather unimaginatively. And you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. 
See, I jumped the gun there. You did. I, I did. Know. I, ju- I jumped the Wookiee bowcaster. Straight into. This is what happens when yeah. I don't print out a, or indeed write a script. We're um, in the wild. This is the West World of podcasts right now. We are well out on the frontier, making this shit up as we go along. We are. Um, speaking of making shit up, let's go to fake news or actual real news, ideally. But there were more rumours and uh, and reports during the week. Marvel's Black Widow has a rumoured director, or at least a list of frontrunners who seem convincing. And who say. are they, Helen? Well, the frontrunner of the alleged frontrunners, according to Deadline, is Australian director Kate Shortland, who of course made The Berlin Syndrome, which is a very good kidnap thriller um, mm. about a woman who's held captive by a man after a one-night stand, which is far too plausible. So that's a that's potentially a fit with the, the history of the character, with the red in her ledger, you know, being sort of brainwashed and conditioned into yep. becoming an assassin. It sort of kind of fits with some of those uh, themes. Also on the table, apparently, is Ama Sante, which is a which is a great sh- uh, choice. We've loved her recent films. Um, United Kingdom was great. Belle was great. She's done some incredible work. Um, and then uh, Maggie Betts, who's uh, one of the Sundance favourites. Now, I haven't seen her recent stuff, so I don't know what she's like, but I'm... Intrigued to know more. Exciting. It looks like that's moving ahead. We don't know anything more about it, do we? In terms Absolutely of nothing. Where it fits all, in. All I know is I want to see it. Yes. And then I want to moan about it and fund a remake soon afterwards. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> You're an inspiration, James. <laughs> inspiration. Um, Star Trek news. This is some Star Trek news. Yes, tell us uh, more. Which was... So it comes a little bit good news and bad news. So showrunners uh, Aaron Harbert and Gretchen Berg have departed Star Trek Discovery. Oh and, and Alex Kurtzman has taken over as kind of showrunner and creative lead. So that was the slight wobble. I was a bit like, ooh, okay, this sounds troubling. But then they kind of mollified that slightly by saying he will be looking into additional series and miniseries set within the same universe. So more Trek goodness potentially coming our way. Uh-huh. Uh, and that, I don't think, can be a bad thing. What form those will take, I mean, frankly... God only knows. Mm. But uh, but more Trek is good. More Trek is good. And I think the Federation is a wide enough place with solid enough rules, if you like, that that could kind of work, mm. I feel like. Well, there was there have been rumours of uh, Patrick Stewart <gasps> returning to the fold, <gasps> which, oh my God, uh, would be the most exciting yeah. thing ever. Next generation for life. Oh, Picard for the win. I would like to see more DS9 type stuff, like, well, you know, state, space station conflict. Yeah. I mean, but Discovery had th- an element of the darkness and the arc based yeah, narrative, which so. I liked. But, I mean, my whole thing is I don't want DS9 type stuff. I want fucking DS9 because it ends on a kind of cliffhanger which has never been resolved. You know, Cisco's gone off into the wormhole to hang out with the prophet aliens. You know, there's loads of stuff to, to be you know, picked up and continued. Yeah, absolutely. Deep Space Ten, that's what I'm saying. Deep Space Ten. You, that, you, yeah. <laughs> that's not high the numbering. Deep Space Ten. All right. Hashtag Deep Space Ten. All right, let's see how well that hashtag takes off. But no, th- there is much to be welcomed in, in the idea of many more Star Trek stories. There's more remake news. We've been talking about remakes. Anthony Mackie and Frank Grillo who were bitter enemies, of course, in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yes, they were. Captain America, Civil War. Are apparently going to appear on the same sort of side in a new thriller called Point Blank. So it's a new concept. It's not to be confused with the 2010 French film of the same name, or I think even the 1967 Lee Marvin one. This is Mackie playing a nurse who has to help a wounded murder suspect, who's played by Grillo, um, escape the hospital because he his brother kidnaps 
Mackie's pregnant wife to make a trade. Okay. Right? So it's not exactly friendly sort of a, a, a team-up. It's not a buddy move, movie, I would say, exactly. Okay. But it's an intriguing idea that they're working together. They're both very charismatic men, so... I like Frank Grillo. Uh, he's very good in Kingdom, the kind of uh, mixed martial arts TV series, mm-hmm. uh, and less so in um, uh, Beyond Skyline. Okay, what have we learned about saying that very muscly That's true. types That is not very true. I should learn from Chris's example. Please do not provoke the very angry, strong people. Yes, well, I have no issues with Frank Grillo. I think he's great. I should also qualify, Frank, you're an excellently talented actor and I've always been an admirer of your work. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't so much Frank was bad in Beyond Skyline so much as Beyond Skyline was bad in Beyond Skyline. That's, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Robert Zemeckis is... Bob. Bob. Bob, Bob of the Zemeckis Cube. Indeed. Is going to be adapting Roald Dahl's The Witches. Now, I am quite intrigued by this because I'm a little bit agnostic on the Nicholas Rogue version with Angelica Houston. Obviously, Angelica Houston is amazing. Yeah. You don't need to say that. She can't beat you up. Well, no, but I, I think she could, actually. And, and best. She's very tall. She's very tall. She's Morticia Adams, and I'm not going to argue with her. I interviewed her once, and I don't know what for. But well, she, I remember thinking, you're story. very tall. It's a good story. <laughs> Thanks for that. It might have been the life aquatic. I don't know. I, I can't remember. Well, she's amazing. But I don't know. Something about the film just didn't quite capture the tone of the Dalf book for me. So I'm kind of intrigued by this one. It's apparently going to be produced by Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro, who uh, del Toro tried to make his own version apparently a few years back and couldn't ever quite you know, make anybody invest in it. So he's now doing the investing. So it's going to be intriguing if, if those three can kind of find the right tone. Do you consider yourself a Dalamite? I don't know. What do you call uh, sure. people who like it? I mean, that sounds rather like a large people who like large stones. <laughs> but I, I do actually. I, I grew up reading a lot of Roald Dahl. Matilda oh, I... came out around the right age for me. You know, Matilda's so. nice, but they're a bit upsetting. Oh yeah, very much so. I, mm, I have issues. But I think most children's books should have upsetting bits. But do they need to be wall-to-wall trauma, which a lot of his books tend to be? I mean, suddenly I'm thinking of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay, the Fantastic Mr. Fox is a bit scary. I didn't love that one growing up. But Danny Champion of the World and Matilda and the BFG and obviously Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I absolutely adored all of those. So... Yeah. And the witches, actually, and the witches. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan. But then, I mean, let's be honest. Children's books these days are problematic wall to wall because Roald Dahl is full of weird sadism, mutilations, torture, and you know, you read Enid Blyton and it's just wall to wall racism. Oh, no. and <laughs> Enid Blyton is like a yeah. There's a lot of fascism in it's there. It's just and yeah, exactly. And, that. and if you don't believe me, read the naughtiest girl in the school. It's like <laughs> it's super fascist, sexist, fascist, racist. It's you know. Yeah, Enid Blyton is problematic. That is why we have Diana Wynne Jones, who is the oh, best of the yes. lot and writes ph- phenomenal books. If you think you don't know her, but you've seen Howl's Moving Castle, then you do know her because that's hers. And she is brilliant. Charmed I Life. Her. I remember Charmed Life Charmed from, life from when I was wee. Yeah. With Crestomancy, the Nine Life Enchanter. Yeah. And the lives of Christopher Chant as well. Oh, brilliant. Okay, this is Anything with Crestomancy is great. All right, so we've established Diana Wynne Jones, uh, good. Yeah. Roald Dahl, bad. No, we've established Roald Dahl, good, but just like not all of them, maybe. But... Okay, Diana Wynne Jones, good. Roald Dahl, quite good. Enid Blyton, racist. Okay, nobody's going to argue dear, with that. Dear lawyers, when I said <laughs> racist, I of course meant inadvertently racist and a product of her age as opposed to a member of the Nazi that's, party. That's probably true. So yes, but moving she's dead on. so she can't see us, so that's the main thing. Uh, moving on, there was news at Pixar and Disney. 
which I think we should touch on. Okay. Um, so John Lester is, of course, stepping down following his misconduct yeah. um, at the head of the of both They studios. are lastless. They are lastless. So the people appointed to lead have now been appointed. Uh, Pete Doctor is going to take over at Pixar and Jennifer Lee at Disney. And I actually think both of those are phenomenal choices. Pete Doctor, after all, is, you know... I mean, I don't want to say that one Pixar director is the best <laughs> he Pixar is dude, director. Isn't he? But I was I was thinking about Pixar films recently and, and it's very hard to put anything other than up or inside eye at the top of your list. As well as Monster Tink, of course. He um, is he's a hell of a director. Wally's up there for me. Well, up is number one, but I'm, I think Wally's I'm also my a huge two. Andrew Stanton fan, don't mm. get me wrong. But uh, but yeah, Pete, Pete Doctor is he's got some game. So And he's never made John Carter of Mars, so you know. Oi. I will I like that. Yes, I'm okay. going for him. Hey. Okay, that was a drive-by slur, <laughs> and I don't approve. But Up is great, Inside Out is great, and they are the the, the Pixar films that swing most for the fences, which is exciting in terms of what they could get yes, up to absolutely. under his reign. And then um, Jennifer Lee, obviously, Frozen is her big, big hit, but it was a pretty big hit. So um, I'm, again, excited to see what she but, does And I enjoy Frozen a lot. I mean, who mm-hmm. doesn't want to build a snowman? But there's a lot of hate for that film, a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate among people who have been forced to listen to it 16 bajillion times since it came out. I don't yeah. think there's hate for the film itself. Um, but she also worked on Wreck-It Ralph. You know, she's done, she's done big stuff. And Wreck-It I think, Ralph is itself an animated war crime, but the less said oh about that, goodness. the better. I, do, I don't know. I think, she's, I think she's good. She's been a co-director. She knows how to work well with others. Um, I think she could be the right person to. And do we think they're going to suffer in a post-Lassiter world? I think there will be lots of talk of them suffering in a post-Lassiter world, but both studios now essentially have a bit of a brain trust situation mm. going on, so you've got to kind of trust to that, I think, to to help them along. I mean, there is, I think, what John Lassiter did, and let's not overlook what he did do, which is to get talent back to both studios, get the culture right at both studios in terms of the actual people that he hired in terms of the way that the films are made. And I think, I hope what this does is actually open the doors to a new generation who can kind of come in maybe without feeling as left out as they did before. So I'm hoping that this is a, is a brave new dawn for both both studios because they have been on a tear recently and I want to see both that. Yay, Pixar. And I haven't seen Incredibles 2 yet, but apparently <gasps> it is incredible too. Hey! So, yay. If I'd seen it, I wouldn't be able to comment, so... <laughs> you can, the review's up. Oh, can I? Yes, the embargo's lifted, you're fine. Well, in that case, I have seen it, and it's very good. And it's got loads of Jack-Jack. Love Jack-Jack. Love Jack-Jack. Yes, I've seen the Jack-Jack footage, which I enjoyed so enormously. Oh, with the bit with the raccoon? Yes. Yeah, it's really good. Jack-Jack versus raccoon, very good. So, yeah, what else have we got uh, this Edgar week? Wright's making a documentary about mm. the band Sparks. As someone who knows nothing about music, what can you tell me about the band Sparks, well, James? it's funny you should ask, Helen. There's a band called Sparks, and they are a popular music act. Oh, God. And enjoyed many hit singles mm-hmm. in the popular... Ch- I don't know who they are. I've, I, I can't. Oh, here we go. I do now. Formed in 1972 by, the, by brothers Ron and Russell Mayle, the Los Angeles Rockers have released albums, including their 1971 debut... Debut Half Nelson, plus 1976's Big Beat and 1979's Number One in Heaven, which was a collaboration with Giorgio Moroder and found the band mixing rock music with synth pop. Right. Well, that's opened my eyes. Yeah. So he's making a documentary about a band that I've never heard of, but that means nothing because I know nothing about music. But he clearly thinks they're good and he knows a lot about music. He does. So I'm prepared to say that they're probably good if he likes them and will probably like it if he makes it. 
Alrighty then. <laughs> so go, Edgar. Go, Edgar. Um, there were a couple of uh, biopic announcements this week. Dr. Dre is planning a Marvin Gaye biopic, which is intriguing. Um, and a Sammy Davis Jr. biopic is in Yes, I saw that. Um, so I think both of those people led extraordinary lives, obviously with Marvin Gaye's in particular ending tragically too soon. So I, I hope that both of those kind of work off, uh, come off. Um, More exciting perhaps yeah. than either of those things though yeah. is there will be a third outing for the heroes in their half shells the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Is it really a third or is it like a 16th? Uh, well, a third of the Michael Bay generation yeah. of Teenage Mutant and Ninja And this is something that you're Turtles. excited about? I mean... I would be lying if I said I had enjoyed, or indeed watched, the other two of the recent outings of said Turtles. But I very much enjoyed the Eastman and Laird comics back when I was a kid. And I even went to great lengths to go and see the original uh, 80s version of the film, which was dreadful. Oh, I quite Uh, liked it. And the vanilla-ized starring sequel, The Secrets of the Ooze. I I remember it well. I don't really. No. I, I want to finish off with a little, another bit of news. Which Can you name thinking. the turtles, Helen? Yes. Go on. Uh, and Leonardo their weapons. Ruffalo. And their colours. Oh, come on. Come on, do it. No, that was... I could name them. I said come I could on. name Who's them. Come on, who's the first one? Um, Leonardo. And he had... Was he blue? No. Well, that's just going Hang wrong. on. Yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> he was blue, but what did he have? Did he have sticks? No. He had know. a sword. He had a sword. Okay. Um, Donatello's purple. He Yes, he was. And uh, he had... Did he have sticks? He had a stick. Okay. Um, and then that means uh, Michelangelo was orange. Yes, yellowy, orangey, whatever okay. you want. Yeah. And then and then that means Raphael was red. And um, what did Michelangelo have? Did he have the nunchucks? Yes, bane of the BBFC. Okay. And Raphael. I don't know what's left. Size. Size. As in Electra Natios's yeah, yeah. weapon of choice. Okay. Well, there we go. I got. I think I got half points for that. Do anyway. you know who Bebop and Rocksteady are? Yes, they're the um, the hippo and the rhinoceros. <laughs> I think it was I think it was a pig, not a hippo, but yeah, well, it's like, yeah. like a wild oh, he's a hog. Yeah, he's like a yeah. hog. Yeah. yeah, I know this because my um, my sister in law, hello Denali, um, calls her cats Bebop and Rocksteady. Oh, that's so I remember cool. That well. I mean, it's not cool; it's ridiculous, but still, yeah. I, I appreciate. That's it. only their nicknames. That's not their names. But their actual names are not Bebop and Rocksteady. No. That's disappointing. I'm sorry. I did remember, and this isn't a new thing, but I only was uh, I was uh, introduced recently to the concept of calling one's feline Chairman Meow, and I thought that was particularly cool. <laughs> And if I ever get a cat, I'm going to do that. A bit disrespectful, potentially, to you think? communists. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that's the turtles. Uh, Will Ferrell, meanwhile, is starring in a film about Eurovision called Eurovision, as far as we know. Uh, this is apparently for Netflix. He's writing it. We think he's starring in it. We don't know what kind of role he's going to take. My only issue with this, but it's a big issue, is Eurovision's already a joke. So yes. I'm, I'm, I worry that you will, in trying to make it funny, make it not funny. So that that is genuinely my my biggest issue with it. Um, I I I don't know. I'd almost be tempted to get previous Eurovision contestants back and just get them to do exactly what they did in order to make it funny. I feel that if you had Jason Bateman and Gary Cole as the judges, that would elevate <laughs> it. Perhaps also starring Chuck Norris, giving the thumbs up. Yes, I feel that would help. Okay, all right. Well, we'll pass that on to Farrell next Good. time we're talking to him and see what happens with that. It is problematic, though. To to make a comedy out of something which is inadvertently comedic mm. does feel like a fun suck. It can be a problem, mm. right? So I, I, that's my only worry about it. But I do think that the Eurovision deserves a wider audience even than it has because it is 
genuinely brilliant comedy. I mean, that, that year that I think it was Poland sent, no, was it Poland? Sent the grannies who all sat around in rocking chairs and sang like a dance song. It was amazing. I remember, was it Guar? Who, who were they? Were they? Who were the ones where they dressed like monsters? Lordy. Was it? Oh, that was Lordy. Lordy. Wow. Yeah. Did I make that up? Hard was that rock, a natural band? Hard Rock Hallelujah, I believe. Ah, okay, sure. Yeah. I remember they came into the office. They did come into yes. the office. I forgot. Like, I ran into them in reception and I was quite freaked out by the whole experience. You were playing a lot of World of Warcraft at the time. Yeah, so it just felt like my daily grind. You know, I felt, oh, yeah, okay, doing rep, rep grinds here in the uh, Ultrack Valley. Sure. Yeah. Before heading to the Scarlet Monastery. Or yes! Whatever. Oh, Helen, I've taught you well. Yes, the Scarlet well, Monastery, bless him. In taught, the Eastern Playgrounds. No, Taught is a strong word. What used to happen... Terraceful Glades, that's where it was. Oh, good Lord. Is that James and Dan would stand next to my desk and discuss Warcraft for half an hour every morning yeah, before work. we so, did. Ish. Talk about our, our experiences going through, uh, you know, the uh, deep rock, black rock depths. Mm-hmm. Mm. Blackwing anyway. Lair, the Molten Core... I feel like we're getting to the end of my interest in Warcraft, so I think we should probably move on. Shall we have a guest? Let's have a guest. It's, it's Duncan Jones to talk about... <laughs> Sorry, now go on. It is not Duncan Jones. It is uh, a man who broke through in The Usual Suspect, mumbling his way to stardom, um, where he has occasionally spoken with great diction ever since. Um, he has impressed as Che Guevara for as Steven Soderbergh. Uh, he starred as Dr. Gonzo in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He was brilliant there. And he um, was in that film that's being remade. He was in that film that's being remade, the one we're remaking. The one, the one that the internet is remaking. Yes, <laughs> he was. Uh, he was also in Avengers: Infinity War as Tanalier Tavan. Yeah. You know, oh, that was his name. Uh, you see, ah, yes. the collector. He's been doing a lot. Um, and this uh, coming week, he's going to be in Sicario Two: Colon Soldado, or if you are of an American persuasion, was it Dia del Soldado? Day of the Soldado, which makes no sense. In Spanish, but yes, Day of the Soldado. Anyway, he's back playing Alejandro, which was his role, of course, in the first one. And he spoke to John about all of that. Hey everyone, this isn't Benito del Toro, it is not John Nugent, it is instead Chris Hewitt. I'm recording this on my iPhone in my LA hotel room to let you know that it is not John Nugent who is interviewing Benicio Del Toro here. It is, in fact, the great Ian Freer uh, who is doing this. And this is the reason why the podcast was late this week. We delayed it until Saturday because the interview with Benicio Del Toro did not happen until this afternoon. So there you go. It has been communicated to me by the power of the internet. Uh, so do enjoy this Benicio Del Toro interview talking about Sicario 2, Soldado, his experiences in James Bond, his thoughts on the Last Jedi fan remake, uh, working with Ben Stiller, and more. Enjoy. Can I get a three-minute warning, please? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Why? Why a three-minute warning? <laughs> I've got, I thought that was my, I'm going to make sure I get through everything. Oh, OK. Because <laughs> that's when you're going to drop the bomb. There's no bombs, I promise you. OK, good. <laughs> Benicio Del Toro, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? Thank you. Good, thank you. Uh, you're back as assassin Alejandro Gillick in Sicario 2, Soldado. Um, were you nervous coming back without uh, Denis Villeneuve and Roger Deakins, original filmmakers? I was a little nervous, yeah. Yeah, I mean, talking two of the best in the world. Yeah. And what kind of calmed your... When did you feel, start to feel comfortable? Um, you know, I, I would say... Um, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Manana. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, no, I thought the, the director of photography, Darius, uh, did a great job. Uh, um, you know, I felt comfortable when I saw the film, but uh, but I think that also 
when I read the the script. Right. Um, it was the same voice, of course, because it was Taylor Sheridan, and I think that um, that the script was original and it had it was unpredictable and uh, and uh, very interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a different beast to the first film, isn't it? I think you've described it to Doors albums. Is that right? Well, I described it as uh, you know the first Doors album. You like the Doors? Yeah. Okay. okay so, yeah. so the first album, uh, the Doors, um, it's uh, it's really compact, and uh, the second one, Strange Days, is uh, it's a little bit looser, um, but it's still great in, a, in its own way. I mean, those two albums are great, but I compared it because it's different, but it's still it's still it's got. New things. Uh, it's it's a bit more ambitious. Yeah, you know. And the second one, there's that whole moment where Jim Morrison uh, does that poem. There's a whole <laughs> yeah, song yeah, yeah. where it's a poem. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, your character kind of uh, is involved in kind of initiating this kind of cartel war by kidnapping the young daughter of a cartel boss, mm-hmm. and your kind of strand is um, sort of chaperoning this young girl. He's right. kind of the soul of the film, isn't he, Alejandro? He kind of provides the emotional heart of it. Yeah, because he... Well, when I read the script, suddenly here... Alejandro in, the, in Sicario was a heartless killer, period. Uh, so when I read the script of Sicario to Soldado, by the end, he does a 180. Yeah. So that's always difficult. It's always difficult to take a character and suddenly do a 180. You can do 90, <laughs> but a 180 is is tough. And then I started seeing psychologically how his actions, kidnapping a young girl about the same age his daughter was kidnapped yeah. before she was killed, forcing this girl to experience the horror, the horror of being kidnapped just like his daughter felt when she was kidnapped, saving this innocent girl, something he could not do to his own daughter, for his own daughter. He was never able to save her. Now he's saving her. And then on top of that, uh, you know, that moment with the sign language moment, which is... Seeing, seeing in the with the campesino angel like this image, this mirror image of his life and his family uh, were, you know. So all those things start to work psychologically, and uh, I believe this character could do a 180 after all those psychological uh, soul searching things. Yeah. Also, within those kind of soul-searching things, there's also brilliant action sequences. Right, well, that's what's complicated. Yeah. It's all in the middle of uh, yeah. doing... Yeah. It's like driving 80 miles an hour and texting and, <laughs> and playing the air guitar and, uh, and you know, and putting yeah. lipstick at the same time. After all the movies now, are you quite handy with a gun? Do you feel confident handling a gun? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I respect it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things you need to know is like you got to know your target and what's behind it. Right. It's an incredibly timely film. You couldn't have imagined when you were making it that things would have played out how they played out in terms of the 
immigration situation, the crisis going on there. You couldn't have believed that, could you? No, I couldn't believe it, no. Uh, I mean, this movie scratches on very timely things that have been timely for the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah, fair play, yeah. Right? <laughs> but I couldn't have not imagine that what's happening right now with this, uh, this debacle, really, of these families being separated at the border or at the, you know, at the, you know in, in the United States, they have broken the law by coming illegally, but that's still innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. You know, and right now they've been treated like guilty before proven innocent, and uh, that's not America. It's, it's kind of interesting how um, the trafficking has changed, isn't it, from going to drugs to humans? The kind of film makes that point, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that too much. I mean, the people, I don't think people are making more money by bringing people over. I mean, people make money, yes. I mean, but uh, I don't know if that's, uh, I think that, you know, there's other things that are making more money. Weapons and drugs still, you, you know, I, I, you know, this movie is uh, fiction. So I don't know if I believe that line. I mean, I know people that, uh, that know that world that could argue that. It heartened me that, that you could get a sequel to a film that's a grown-up, complex, interesting movie. Um, do you think that's, that's, a, that's a great thing, isn't it? You can get a franchise out of a film like this. Well, that's not for me to say. I mean, but if if you want to say it, you can come sit over here and tell them. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you know, but, uh, yeah. I, well, I hope that you're... We could get Alejandro Gillick action figures. Uh, well, you know, um, why not? But, uh, but <laughs> I, you know, but, you know, um, you know, someone will do it. I, gotta, I should call my lawyer. You should. Yeah, okay. there's money to be made there, yeah? Okay. <laughs> well, someone is going to make the money, but I'm the one who had to sweat my ass, you know, out there in the desert tied up and all that kind of stuff, yeah. In terms of franchises, you seem to have done the whole ones. You've done Bond, you've done uh, Star Wars, you've done Marvel. What are your kind of memories of Bond back in the day? Uh, I mean, it was great. It's one of the first movies I do. Yeah. I, I wasn't secure about picking this career of being an actor. Everyone around me was definitely insecure about my future. And then suddenly here I am, we're like, hey, I just got a job in a Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the, I think the, the, the one of my earliest memories of being like, blown away by a movie was going to see uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah, yeah. And buying the the record. In those days, yeah. you didn't have DVDs course, or yeah, anything yeah, like see, that. Yeah. So the record was the closest thing of owning the movie. Yeah. At home. Yeah. So having, playing that record and remembering, you know, well, the classic soundtrack by Paul McCartney and... Uh, was it Wings? George, George Martin, yeah. George Martin, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> um, and the whole thing. But, uh, but uh, and the, you know, everything about the album uh, and, the, and the movie. So, so suddenly here I am, you know, going, to, going to, to, to the big party, in my opinion, to go be, <laughs> be in a, and I had a chance to meet Cubby Broccoli and, uh, 
And uh, yeah, it was it was like unbelievable. The, the 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 funny thing is that I didn't work after that movie for about a year. <laughs> you know, I thought I was gonna be working. I thought it was done. I was gonna, you know, I'm in a Bond movie and uh, I'm speaking. Um, so uh, I had a couple lines, you know. So I uh, I thought uh, I was uh, I was gonna be working for the, right after that, and it took a while for the next job. So. And, but it was great. It was and great. more recently, how was your Star Wars experience? Did you love it? Yeah. 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 I mean, I did, you know, really, I had a, had a really good time working uh, with Ryan Johnson yes. and the cast. And, and you know, it's another one is like, that's kind of like a back to the future, you know, because uh, that's another one of those movies that I saw when I was like yeah. 10 and... And I remember loving it and understanding it and, uh, you know, being moved by that film. And here I am doing a movie here in the U.K. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, an interesting character. And, yeah. uh, and it was a lot of fun. Did you see this week that some fans seem to want to remake it? There's some disgruntled fans who feel like it needs to be done again. Did you see that this week? But am I in the movie? That you should be, shouldn't you? Oh, well, you, as you, the you fans, am I, I want to know if I'm in the movie. Okay, let's do it again. <laughs> I want take two. <laughs> you know, I'll do it again. <laughs> okay, um, final thing. Uh, yeah, but I'd, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, they, you know, they want to remake it, you know, good luck. <laughs> it's not easy to make movies. No, not big movies like that, no. Any movie, Any movie. even little movies, is not easy to do it. You know, if it was easy to do, there'll be a formula. You can buy it and get it. It's not easy. Um, I believe next up you're doing a TV series with Ben Stiller. Is that right? I, uh, ben Stiller is directing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, we already finished it. Uh, they're putting it together. Uh, it's a limited series. It's called Escape at Danamora, and um, I don't know when it's coming out. I okay. haven't seen it. I hope it's uh, coming together well. And what's it about? It's about. Uh, it's based on a true story about these two inmates that escaped uh, from uh, from j- uh, jail upstate New York in upstate New York by uh, with the help of uh, of a woman that was working in uh, in uh, in the jail, and um, you know, it's it actually happened in 2015. Yeah. One of the inmates was killed, and uh, they got away. And you know, so hopefully, it's uh, it'll come together nicely. I haven't seen it, uh, but I, you know, we worked really hard on it. Yeah. And how, how did you find television as opposed to movies? Is it just like a grind? Like a tough it's a, it, it is a grind. It is a grind. You know, <clears throat> I've been doing. I'm a sprinter. <laughs> I do a hundred meters. Okay. Do a movie, eight weeks, ten weeks, and then I forget about it. Yeah. I forget all the lines. I forget everything. Then I go to the next movie. So when I was doing this TV show, it was it was 101 days. So just when I just go like, okay, I finished that sprint. Oh, my God, we got another movie to do. So <laughs> it was the equivalent of doing four movies, back right. to back to back. Yeah. You know, it's the same character, but still, you, you got to keep track of the character. There's a lot of information that is difficult to retain it 
in your brain. When I do a movie, I got the information of the story in my head. I, I don't want to go to the script and go, what happened up to this? I want to know that. When you have, uh, whatever, 600 pages, it's kind of difficult. And some of them are being written as you're shooting. It's, it's, it is difficult to, to have that uh, control of what's happening or, 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 or a clear idea. Yeah. So, um, but you find ways of, uh, of uh, you know, um, surviving it. And, um, you know, uh, the only thing I had to do was just treat it like I was doing four movies in a row. <laughs> You know, it's just like, you know, trying to, like, uh, understand as much as I could and, you know, uh, putting as much effort as I could on and off the, uh, the stage, you know, on and off, you know, the, the work. Well, we look forward to seeing it, and congratulations on Sicario too. Thank you. Thank you so uh, much. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, sure, thank you. Okay, good. What's that shirt that you got? That's uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ooh, that's a cool movie. Yeah. That's a movie about an artist, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Helen. Yes. What does soldado mean in Spanish? Isn't it soldier? Oh, yes, that makes sense. I, I, I have seen Sicario 2, colon, soldado, and I didn't understand it. So, Do you speak Spanish? No. Um, <laughs> that may have been a factor. It, it was very good, but I don't understand the plot. So when uh, listeners have seen the film, I would appreciate anyone can at me on Twitter and explain to me the story. That would be fabulous. Well, there you go. A personal plea there from James Dyer yes. for help mm. with... A film. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't help you. I'm sorry. But I look forward to seeing it. It looks extremely interesting. It is. Yay. Apparently. Okay. Hey, it's Chris again in his LA hotel room watching Belgium versus Tunisia on the TV. It's on mute, thankfully, otherwise you'd be able to hear the commentary. Uh, just to let you know that uh, this is the bit where I talk about Sky Cinema. Uh, it's coming up any second now. I pre-recorded it in the studio in London, uh, but Helen and James forgot to link to it. So here it is. So take it away, Chris, but take it away as if I'm Helen, if you know what I mean. You'll see. Two seconds. Ooh, Belgium nearly scored. Ooh, wait, hang on. Have they scored? Oh, how is this only 4-1? What's going on? Anyway, here I am talking about Sky Cinema. That's right, Helen. Yes, I may be in Los Angeles again, but that doesn't mean I can't pop on to tell you guys what to watch this week on Sky Cinema, which, as you know, Gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want, in the best possible way. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now, many, many years, and I love the choice they offer. They've got over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me or you to enjoy whenever I or you want. My first recommendation this week is a premiere on Sky Cinema. It's Stephen Freer's Funny and Affecting Victoria and Abdul, which is a sort of semi-sequel to Mrs. Brown. Uh, this one finds Dame Judi Dench reprising the role of Queen Victoria. No Billy Connolly this time, Mr. Brown has long gone. Instead, this tracks the relationship between Victoria and a young Indian clerk, uh, Abdul, played by Ali Fazal, who comes to England and finds himself taken with the proud, indefatigable Queen. Uh, it's a two-way street. She's fascinated and infatuated by him, and as he becomes a friend and confidant, he gives her a new lease of life at the end of her reign. It's something of a companion piece to Freer's Florence Foster Jenkins, another film I really enjoyed. And this one finds Dench on great form with able support from Fasal and the likes of Eddie Izzard as the villain of the piece. Uh, and has interesting things to say about colonialism, tolerance, 
racism, finding friendship late in life, uh, whilst also crafting a beautiful platonic love story. So Victoria and Abdul, my first recommendation this week. Sky has also launched a new collection this week. It's called Queens of Comedy. It's available from the 18th of June to the 1st of July. And it features a whole load of fantastic female-fronted comedies from the last few years. You have all sorts of great stuff in there. You have Juno. You have Election. You have Bridesmaids, Bridget Jones's Baby, Miss Congeniality 1 and 2, Armed and Fabulous is in there as well. But I'm not just going to simply list titles. I'm going to choose one of those films as my recommendation for this week. And that recommendation is... Clueless. Amy Heckerling's Clueless, which is as fresh and funny now as it was way back in 1995. My God, 1995. I remember... I remember 1995. Oh my God, I'm old. Uh, it is a loose adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma, a very loose adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. Uh, this sees Alicia Silverstone in a star-making role as Cher, a young high school student who loves matchmaking and interfering in other people's love lives whilst neglecting her own. But could Mr. Wright be under her fairy nose in the shape of Paul Rudd, who hasn't aged a day? What freaky witchcraft is this? Maybe. I'm not saying. I'm not saying for sure. Uh, it is vital. It is vibrant. It's hugely quotable. It's got a great cast, including the likes of Stacey Dash and the late Brittany Murphy, who is fantastic in this. Uh, it's a wonderful snapshot of the 90s to boot. It is great stuff. Don't be clueless. Be clue... Um, clue... Clueful? Clue... Clueful. Be clueful. And there you go. Those are my recommendations for this week on Sky Cinema. Join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Back to you, Helen, in the studio. Hi, Helen. So, we should probably do some reviews. Yes, yes, there are films. films there are out. films, yes. Um, out this week, among other things, mm. is Ocean's 8. However, Yay. Chris, the object of our Ocean's Hate, has already done the review because he did it last week. The absolute bastard. Yeah, so... Can I just say... Go on, go on. Have, I have, really enjoyed this film. I saw it with Empire's reviewer, Ian Freer, who gave it three stars. And he said, I'm going to give it three stars. And I was like, no, you can't do that. And he goes, why not? And I'm like, well, I can't think of any reasons why it <laughs> deserves more. But I just had more fun than that. I had at least four stars worth of fun. And while I agree intellectually with his review, my heart, the heart that has recently, and I'm not kidding, bought a green velvet jacket to look more like Kate Blanchett... <laughs> My heart says four. So the, I just wanted to throw that in because I wasn't here last week and I didn't get to chip in. It feels one of these situations where this is a really fun film, but Ocean's Eleven is so superlatively brilliant that it kind of pales by comparison to that. I don't think that there is that much difference, actually, in the fun between them. I, re- I absolutely agree that this one doesn't have the freshness, maybe that it felt like Ocean's Eleven had. Um, but I think in terms of like charisma levels and fun levels, I think we are actually on a par. And I think it is only the freshness that is different. Do you think they will do an Ocean's 9 and an Ocean's 10, thereby completing the circle? I very much hope so, because it, it slightly irks me. <laughs> Well, that there's a gap. It just feels, it just feels untidy. Yeah. 8, right 11, 12, 13. Ooh. No! In fact, it's worse. It's 11, 12, 13, 8. Oh. Yeah, that is worse. Ooh. 
it's it's painful. It pains the eyes. We'll get George of Lucas in to sort it out. <laughs> I think that's a very dangerous, dangerous plan. Um, but anyway, so Ocean's 8 was out since Monday. Uh, the review is on the site and it does have three stars next to it. But it is a positive three yes. and I would like to endorse the positivity. Now, we're going to, for the sake of argument, imagine a world in which it's possible that I have not entirely seen all of the films out this week. I mean, so, we're reviewing two films, James. Three. Okay. Um, so, so, so we, assuming that that might be a possibility, okay. I'm going to assume that you have. Okay. Therefore, I'm going to ask you to explain them to me. Okay. Starting with a film which I know you've seen because you reviewed it, Freak yeah. Show. I did, yes. Um, so this is Trudy Styler's film, mm. She of Sting fame. Um, and it's... It's not bad, actually. So it's uh, Alex Lawther stars as Billy Bloom, um, and he has been raised fabulous, quite frankly, by his mother, who's played by Bette Midler. And uh, she has to go off somewhere. We're not quite clear initially where. And she sends him to live with his father, who's played by Larry Pine, um, in Virginia. And he's Mm -hmm. sent to a very nice school there. But it's much more sort of conservative than he's used to. And he is a young man who enjoys... uh, let's say certainly playing with gender. He enjoys cross-dressing, although he doesn't start off that way at school. Um, he is gay. Uh, he, he's queer. I don't know if it goes any further than that. He's, he doesn't define himself other than calling himself a freak. So uh, in this school, he is met with nothing but, almost nothing but derision, bullying, and eventually a beating that leaves him struggling for his life. And when he returns to school, he's basically determined to fight back with fabulousness which is which is a heck of a response uh, in fairness so it's a kind of a it's a very much a coming of age story it's very much uh you know a celebration of his uh his personality and his determination his courage um my big issue with this and i said this in the review is it feels like a story from about 10 or 15 years ago to me. And it, it is based on a book that's and like the 10 book, years old. Yeah, I was about to say the book's older, isn't yeah. it? It's like 2009, I want to say. Yeah, and I feel like it's based on the author's memories from even before that. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to suggest that, uh, that LGBT, uh, etc. kids don't get bullied nowadays and uh, or that they don't face challenges at school because I know that that is not the case. But what I do think is that this wall of horror and shock that he meets with would have more holes in it Mm. nowadays and I feel like there would be more acceptance there would be more celebration earlier in his story than we see here I feel like this slightly does a disservice to other kids to suggest first of all to suggest that there is only one out gay student in this entire school seems again out of step with modern times and out of step with with the fact that people are accepting themselves and being true to themselves at an earlier age so it, it, it does feel just a little bit of a a weirdly timed piece to me. Do you not feel the same way a little bit about Love, Simon? They made such a big deal about the kid in high school coming out as gay and I just felt a little bit like in 2018, is it that big a deal or is it just where it was set? Weirdly, I felt it a bit less in Love, Simon because in that one, it's more about him as a person, Mm. what he's worried about and not so much about everyone else's reaction in a strange way. Uh, It's more about him being honest about himself whereas this guy is there's no question of him hiding who he is he knows exactly who he is he doesn't hide it it's about being accepted it's about being accepted and it feels it feels a little bit just a just 
a little bit overdone in that sense. Having said that, it is uh, it's brilliantly performed. I think Lothar is a really, really good act, young actor. He was in the, uh, It's the End of the Fucking World uh, yes. on Netflix, which is a phenomenal performance as well. I think he's very, very good. He was in Goodbye Christopher Robin, which is a bit of a heartbreaking scene. Um, and, and he gives it his all here. Obviously, Bette Midler is never bad, and it's good to see her back on, on, on screen. Um, and there's some really nice young performances as well. Ian Nelson plays this football star who's, you know, he's the kind of school jock the the hero of the entire student body and yet he's the one of the very few who will actually reach out to this kid and and you know be his friend um and anna sophia robb is the other one who although she's rather pushed to one side and not given i think enough to do but so there's some really really good stuff in this i just it just feels a little bit odd in its timing um but otherwise um really entertaining so i give that three stars Three stars then for Freak Show. Yes. Uh, also out this week, In the Fade, starring Diane Kruger, which, as I understand it, this is a German language film, isn't yeah. it? Uh, as I understand it, this, for people who've only seen, you know, her in like, National Treasure and Troy and whatnot, mm. this is a bit of a revelation. Massive revelation. I mean, she has been good in some dramas that she's done since, but she has, I've never seen her do anything like this. And maybe she has been the whole time in Germany and I've just not seen enough German films, <laughs> for which I would like to apologise to the entire nation of Germany and please point me in the, more, in the direction of more performances I believe like this. what you mean saying is Entschuldigung mir bitte. Is it? Something like that. It's toot me alight. Take your pick. I mean, I did Spanish instead, man. I can't be expected to know all these things. Um, but she um, very deservedly uh, won plaudits at Cannes for this performance um, in which she is a woman who has, I think from a difficult beginning, found uh, love, peace, a life with uh, her Turkish-German husband, Nuri, mm. um, and then tragedy strikes. And uh, she is forced to kind of fight for justice initially and failing that vengeance. Um, it is a hell of a performance, genuinely, absolutely one of the best I've seen this year. And I do now get why there, why there was Oscar talk and everything else for her because I think it's great. Um, but it, it literally does rest on her shoulders. I mean, it's a nicely shot film. It looks good. Mm. It's, it's well put together. Um, all the other performances are fine, but it absolutely rests on her shoulders. It's very much anchored in Katya and her experience in what she goes through, um, going through the court system, um, in the questions that the police ask her about her lifestyle, her husband's lifestyle, how can that possibly relate to what happened? Like it's, yeah. it's there's a lot going on um, that is that is pretty pretty kind of complicated, um, but it's all about how it affects this character, and I think it's brilliantly done. And it's a courtroom drama, heart, isn't it? Which there's, you don't get enough of these days. No, you don't. And there is a lot, and it's interesting. I think people who are used to seeing American and British courtroom dramas will be fascinated <laughs> to see how the generally European justice system. This is kind of similar to what you get in. A lot of former Roman law countries, but how they work. Um, and it's a very, very different and in some ways less antagonistic setup. And in some ways, there are some slightly odd things going on, which I won't get into again because okay. it's spoilers. But yeah, there is a big courtroom element to this and it is impressive. It's an interesting thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I thought this was, was terrific. Um, and again, just like Diane Kruger, like you've never, ever seen her. And we gave this four stars. We did, yes. Also out this week is a remake of the 80s uh, romantic comedy starring Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, in which a man essentially abducts a woman and uh, condemns her to a life of sexual slavery and domestic servitude. In fairness, he doesn't start off with the sexual slavery bit. And this is the thing. Like, I know Overboard is super problematic, like (laughs) non-problematic. But... I love it because you can tell that Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn were like falling in love during it and yeah. they're just so good together. Because that's where they met, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you basically completely overlook all the bits that are really gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they've remade it and they've they gender-swapped it. Which makes it 
slightly less problematic. Slightly less scary, at least. But yeah, it is. I mean, Anna Faris, as a sort of Goldie Hawn alike, makes a heck of a lot of sense, right? Even though technically in this one, she's Kurt Russell. That's true. Well, I mean, Anna Faris as Kurt Russell also yeah, kind of works I, for me, I, Absolutely. She'd make an excellent Snake Plissken. She really would. Somebody should, somebody should make her do that. Uh, sadly, I have not seen this yet. I am genuinely planning to go this weekend, but I, I have am not seen in it yet. no way planning to go this weekend. And yet, and yet, I'm sure you'll have a good time. Yeah, uh, despite the fact that we gave it two stars. Yes, which sounds about right. I mean, on paper, it, it does rather seem like it might be. All right, shall I read out the verdict? Let's see what the verdict was. Yeah. I'm going to read out the verdict. Two stars. Our very own James White said, in conclusion, hardly likely to convince anyone that remakes are worthwhile. Overboard ekes out laughs, but fails to add the romance to the comedy. We'd leave this one in the water. Oh, get in the sea, etc. See what you did there? I I do. It's like overboard. Yeah. Yeah. Solid gag. So, yeah, those are the films of the week. So, um, out of uh, not counting Ocean's 8, out of those, In the Fade is definitely the one to see if you can get hold of it. But you won't regret Freak Show either. I think it's it's a nice film. Yes, and don't forget to go and see Sicario 2 next week so that you can tell me what it's about. <laughs> a personal plea there. It is really just a personal plea. It's <laughs> pos- I was very tired and there were subtitles. It's possible that I just missed sections of it. But I am still confused. Okay. Well, that we'll talk more about this next week. Very well of you. Okay, that's pretty much it for this week's Empire Podcast. Now, going up in the next week, we do have some more exciting stuff. Um, so please do uh, tune in and keep an eye on your SoundCloud or iTunes feed. Uh, we're going to have the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom spoiler special, Hooray. which will be up at some point in the next week. And the Westworld Season 2 special, yes. which is due on Tuesday, so keep an eye out then. Uh, we have Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan speaking on that. So it is very, very informative i guess i mean that bit's informative the other bit we haven't recorded yet but we're going to do that as soon as we've watched the finale and yeah so that's going to be awesome it's going to be informative too right right okay so anyway so do please tune in next week for during the next week for the Jurassic world fallen kingdom spoiler special and the west wing 2 spoiler special i think we're also due to have another ranking yes i believe the star trek ranking is going to be the next one we will see which chris i think is is going to be putting together this weekend so that's in fact it may even be up before this very podcast (gasps) it might be up now Wow. So Live long and prosper. Out. Live long and prosper indeed. Um, so check all of those out. And that is it for this week's uh, Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin. They will be cast adrift on a sea of nonsense uh, by us next week. And also we have the directors of The uh, the Endless coming in as well. So it's going to be an interesting Do we now? I have there. interviewed them for that film. Well, that's the person who did that interview then. No, so. I don't think I did it. I don't think I did the podcast interview. Oh. Uh, I interviewed them for the mag. Well, They okay. were very interesting though. It's a good film. So there we go. Um, so do join us then for more film-related fun. Until then, it's goodbye from James. Uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to just stare at my own feet some more because they look so pretty. Mar- Marvellous in, in many ways. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>